0: After all, there is nothing real outside our perception of reality, is
1: there? questions. If you wish to avoid prosecution, I would advise that you comply with our language laws. This is the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to the RCMP. That's the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. I'm your host today, Becky Shrimpton. Cameron Maitland is not with me today. He is busy doing a television show. I will be doing the same television show in uh, about two weeks' time. We'll let you guys know when that is coming out and what it is. Just that you guys know, I am probably in the top five at this point experts in giant Canadian rat movies. You know, you got to take your victories where you can get them. So, uh, stay tuned for that. But for right now, we have an awesome episode with an awesome guest. I'm going to bring her on right away. We've got Sarah Martins with us today. Hey, how you doing? Hi, good. How are you? Good. Thanks for coming on.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Now, you have a new web series out. It is big. It is vicious. It is very odd and very dark. You wrote, produced, and directed this, is that correct?
0: Yep, that is
1: correct. Okay, tell me a bit about this. So
0: it was something that my writing partner and I had been thinking about for a long time ago, and uh, we just never... We were able to push it through past the writing stage. Um, there's always the consideration of budgeting and whatnot, and life gets in the way. And it was just, uh, but it was a project that we started back in 2011, just thinking about. Uh, because I think at around that time, there were very few movies that were about alien invasions and what would happen on Earth after the attack or after just like the apocalyptic kind of world. So, uh, but now if you look at uh, what's out there, you see a lot of that stuff now, but I guess when we were thinking about it, probably some eight, nine years ago, it was still in its infancy stages of like how much is actually there now. But Anyway, so we um, we put it on hold for a bit. We wrote it, and uh, recently we were able to actually finance it and get it off and uh, filmed.
1: Which is pretty insane. And you guys ended up in a bunch of bunkers outside of Ottawa. What kind of a nightmare was that like to shoot in? I gotta ask.
0: So it was actually, it was funny because, yeah, when we started thinking about, like, the vault and where they would be underground, our first thought was actually... Uh, like a ship, like a battleship or a Navy, and you kind of try to figure like, where could you even go to get into something like that? And there was one that's outside, and I think it's in Hamilton. And we actually went to go check it out. And we were in there. And we're like, Oh, this is cool, because everything was very confined when you're in there. And you can get that sense of your, uh, I guess you could feel like it's underground, which would work for us. Um, so we actually considered that at first, but then we uh, were online and we saw this Diefenbunker Museum out in Ottawa and uh, we thought, oh my gosh, that's so cool. It's, uh, it was actually a real Cold War bunker that was used by the government. Uh, no longer in use but um so we went out there and we checked it out and the guy when he was talking to us about uh yeah there's been a couple of um i think music videos he had said had shot there and then he told us that um this short film by Neil Blomkamp shot there as well with Dakota Fanning That's cool. um called yeah called Zygote so um we were there like oh then this is i think where we're going to have to come and um so yeah they were really friendly um, and allowed us to use uh, the spaces that we needed to make it to make it work for what we
1: wanted. Now, is this your first go out as a filmmaker and a writer? First
0: big thing. Like I've worked on uh, documentaries and some short um, and some music videos. But the first thing yeah, that I kind of uh, took under my wing as a bigger, just overall project, I guess.
1: Oh, and we're going to get into that as we get into our film. Uh, filmmakers who get a whole bunch of money and now they get, well, not a whole bunch of money, but you, they get their yeah. dream project financed. and then Yeah, exactly. Uh, what happens next? Uh, just give people a quick log line and how do they check out the show? It's
0: about a group of uh, survivors who um, have to band together to try to make it through. And they're like in this underground military bunker um, we're on like a lot of the social media. So like on YouTube channel, you can go to uh, YouTube and uh, type in the vault web series or our official website at the uh, on Twitter, our Twitter handle is at Vault Web Series. And we're also on Instagram as uh, The Vault Web Series. So
1: Now, you picked your favorite Canadian film for whatever value that is. Uh, we had a little mm-hmm. bit of back and forth because you there was a few others you wanted to do. Cube is everybody's favorite. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I remember watching that one and just thinking for a film that was shot in... Uh, that was shot just in one place, I'd never, I just remember never feeling slow and you were always captivated by these characters. And to me, like it just, it kind of uh, resembled the vault in a way, like it, that sci-fi kind of aspect of it being underground. Like, where are you going? What's next? Like not knowing what's outside. Like I felt something about it. You know what I mean?
1: Totally. And then you get on onto uh, this next thing, which happens all over the world. It's big and it's grand. What movie did you pick? I picked The Art of the Steel. The Art of the Steel from 2013. Yeah. Now, we yeah. were going to talk about this movie uh, with a previous guest. Instead, we ended up talking about the film Full Proof, which is another oh. heist film. Of all the Canadian films you could have picked, why did you pick this one?
0: I knew some of the characters. I had, I, You know what? The funny thing is, I don't, re- I don't remember actually... Um, seeing too much about it, I think it came out in TIFF.
1: It did. It uh, opened TIFF. It was the big grand opening movie for TIFF. Yeah,
0: but I don't remember seeing a lot of um, other um, advertising for or whatever, but I thought like, oh, this is interesting. And then uh, knowing that Matt Dillon and Kurt Russell were in it, I'm like, hey, this might, like, why haven't I seen this yet? (laughs) (laughs) So then, yeah, so I decided to watch it. There was nothing, I think, that really screamed out Canadian other than the fact that I got to see a lot of, like, the Niagara Falls and the CN Tower and a lot of shots that I recognized. But I was actually really happy to see that it, it felt international, I guess.
1: Yeah, and it is international.
0: And I think they actually, it looked like I saw Pearson in there too. Yeah. So that surprised me because I I'm like, damn, they shut down Pearson for even though it was a little bit. But one of the shots actually did look like one of the terminals.
1: I think they did shoot in Pearson too. There's like uh, like a tiny little corner. You know what? They must yeah. have a film corner at Pearson. I would not be surprised. Ah, interesting. Never thought of that. What is this film about?
0: So I remember thinking like it felt to me like it was like an Ocean's 11, 12 or 13, whichever one you want to pick kind of look. So it, it was the, this group of people or this guy who had done something with his brother and his brother sold him out right at the the beginning of the movie. And then he comes out of prison and he wants to change his life. Uh, He no longer wants to be in the heist world kind of thing. So, uh, but then there was also this kind of like job that came about that his brother started, uh, started up again. And then he, just kind of went in with it. They got the ba- the team back together again and they um and they did this heist, which was going to be their last heist. And then all the shenanigans that come with it after, uh, to see whether or not they can pull it off and uh what it ends up with. I don't know if I should give away the ending. Like I'm trying to, like Let's I can talk, it up to halfway, the
1: hell out of it. So oh, uh, yeah. let me just let me just say that uh, this film is available for rent on iTunes. It was on Netflix. It's not anymore. It's probably ah on Netflix yeah, the yeah, see it on uh, Netflix. Yeah, yeah, one of those things. And I'm always just like that. Hair too late to catch whatever it was on Netflix. Yeah. They make their way which through
0: was yeah. Street. When I was watching it, I thought this is totally worthy. Like it's such a like it. Actually, I really enjoyed the film.
1: Yeah, it's going to uh, it's going to cause it definitely has spoilers. There's no question. Yeah. It's a heist movie. That's the entire point of a heist yeah. movie is that it keeps yeah. you guessing until the very end, and then you see how they did it. It's about the magic yeah. trick. Um, yeah. So yeah, if you don't want us to spoil it, go watch it. Yeah talked a little bit about the cast let me just take us through this cast here you got yeah. Kurt russell you got matt Dillon, as you said jay baruchel yep. who's one of my personal oh favorites. that's right yeah yeah yeah. kenneth welsh who people will remember from everything including playing wyndham orle in twin peaks chris diamantopoulos who is a huge voice actor huge actor actor he's in a bunch of stuff katherine winnick uh, who's in a bunch of stuff jason jones Terrence stamp is in this this thing is insane. It's got like the biggest cast in the world. Yeah, and I think
0: all the characters really brought the their game on. Like, I really enjoyed watching all of them and actually getting to understand the uh, the motivation behind uh, each each one of them.
1: Yeah, nobody, and we should also say this is not a paycheck for anybody. So with Kurt Russell, I mean, a lot of older actors, people will be like, oh, okay, you know, they just need the paycheck. They need to pay for their home in Malibu, whatever. Kurt Russell, one, doesn't need the money. Two, the last leading role that he did was Death Proof back in 2007. This is 2013. So he didn't have to take this. He is perfectly happy just spending time on his vineyard. And he's clearly having a great time. Did we also say that he's playing a motorcycle stuntman called Crunch Calhoun? (laughs)
0: Yeah, that was pretty, that was pretty, that was pretty fun. I really actually enjoyed that angle.
1: (laughs) Which is so bananas. And Jay Baruchel, again, here's a, here's a kid who in any possible way, he could phone in all of his roles. He could do whatever. He could just glide on his charm. He never does. He always has a great time. He always brings the next level. He's always great. And I mean, his verbal fluidity just destroys me.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'd have to agree.
1: I just wish this had an R rating so I could watch him swear like in Goon. That's what really gets it going for me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I actually, like, I I recognized his face, but I don't know uh, where else I had seen him before. But I was pleasantly surprised. I think at first I was like, oh, I'm not sure how I'm going to feel about his character. But then I was actually pleasantly surprised by him.
1: Well, for the first time, he's really playing a character that's insecure. And you saw that a little bit on Undeclared, which was the series that he did for Jed Apatow just after Freaks Mm -hmm. and Geeks. And he's got that, like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I'm young and my father lives with me in my dorm kind of thing going on. Yeah, Uh, but after that, he's he's normally playing these like street smart kind of swarthy guys who really know what's going on. They're they're ridiculous and they're over the top, but they're always competent. This guy isn't competent. Yeah. In fact, he's so incompetent he gives the film easily one of its yeah. best moments. Um, yeah. We'll get into that. We'll get into that at the end. Um, you have a heist movie what is the best way to introduce your characters because these are always massive things how do you how do you go about being like we have these people this is what they do here we go
0: well I actually like the way they introduced it because I knew that they were going to have to introduce so many characters and I'm one of those people unless I see you uh often on the screen it's going to take me a while to just associate who's who with what's what and the fact that they were, like, just spitting out the names with the kind of person that they were. So, like, for uh, Nikki, I think they put, like, the idea man or something. It was just, like, straight up on the screen, the written with the face as they were coming on screen. And then the they had the scratcher, Guy, I think was his name or whatever it was. And that actually, the way they did that made it cement in my brain and it was easier for me later to just know who was who. So I actually really appreciated the fact that they did that. I don't know if everybody enjoys it when they do that, but, um, I actually found that that was super helpful.
1: I always find it a bit of a challenge because personally, I want to see them do something right away. Film for uh, me is such, a, is such a visual medium. And when it's like, yeah. okay, this guy is like an art expert. And you do get to see them do the first heist initially. So like the yeah. setup is there and strong. But I think I would have rather just dove right into that instead of uh, yeah, yeah. opening with the voiceover. Because yeah. the voiceover never comes back. So
0: I'm yeah. like, okay. i think I, I think there was a bit of a voiceover a little bit later. There is, but towards that's Kenneth Welsh's and,
1: voiceover. Or oh, yeah. It's Kenneth it's Welsh. It's uh, Stamps voiceover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so you do have yeah. the bookending of those. So in terms yeah. of the way the, the style works, I get yeah. it. I just don't, yeah. I like, just think it's a little too easy. Yeah, I like easy. Maybe that's
0: why I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right. Now, this is something I do have to ask because this irked me. Now, I have I have forgiveness for films that were made before the world was woke and before me too and all that about the way characters are treated specific the way characters are written and who's involved and, uh, I just don't know how much my sympathy expands to 2013 and the fact that there's an awareness that he should be writing female characters that are interesting and powerful and, you know, human beings. Um, Yeah. And (laughs) and that definitely is not in this film. You have two female characters. Yeah. Uh, One of them is... Very one dimensional. The other character is like given a little bit to do, but all she does is have sex with someone. And you know she's competent, but you never get to see. Oh with yeah, sex. yeah, a little, uh, Yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. The female characters were just there to serve the male counterparts. There was really nothing about them, I think, uh, that made either of them strong. Either the wife, the the girl who played the wife, or the mistress kind of. I don't know. What she was, uh, She's an yeah. art appraiser,
1: is who she is. That's oh, why they that's use right. her. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that's right. so yeah. they both have points. And this is why I totally fault Jonathan Sobel on this, is because he knew enough to know what the tropes were and how to play with them, but he yeah. didn't do, go far enough to actually let them do something. The other issue I've got is yeah. they're all white, and this is 2013, and that's not okay. Uh, oh, yeah, that's
0: right. I didn't even, yeah, that's true. That is true.
1: Yeah, so I was, was kind of like, oh, dude, that's yeah. not cool. You know, just yeah. throw in throw in anyone give someone some money who's not white, but that's okay. yeah. Um, yeah I wonder it. like what that cast would look like uh today. I think you'd you know what say, I mean. There's a lot of older actors, and this is something that I think is really smart in terms of a first-time filmmaker uh, who is offering roles to people who may not, who are like big names and like huge icons and possibly heroes of them. Um, yeah. That they're able to offer these these scripts to people who might not necessarily be getting the same offers they used to. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think there's such a huge. I mean, Danny Glover appears in so many people's movies just because Oh uh, yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, he's he's one of those guys who's okay. just working all the time. So I think it's one of those things where you just kind of pick who you would want and send it out and see what happens. And I'm sure this is yeah. the same way. So it's one of those things where I think it's really smart for filmmakers who don't have huge resources to get a name where they if they have the solid script, they can send it out to people who again may not necessarily yeah. be working all the time now, but may yeah, just yeah, be yeah. looking for something. And that tends to be a lot of older actors who've been out of the limelight for a while, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, is that uh, what sort of ways as a, as a filmmaker who's who's done their own thing, how do you see the money being used in this smartly?
0: I think they were able to get like a lot of I just don't know how long they were because a lot of those shots, I think that they were showing that were in the U.S., they were all probably here in the in Canada. So they're it looks like, yeah, it looked like there were a couple of them that I thought, oh, they must be all in that area that kind of goes towards the U S but they do have like shots. Oh, but yeah, even that, like that must've probably been in the studio. I wonder if they did the studio in Hamilton and they just got a lot of those stuff like the, the Polish prison. And the, I think the Paris shots were probably, probably not actually
1: there. Oh no, no, there's no way they had the, uh, they had the resources to do that kind of flying.
0: They were in Niagara Falls. I saw that. Um, But yeah, they probably is just used a lot of stuff within Canada here where they were shooting. And then because they even that whole Paris thing where they were showing the thing of um, that guy who had done the heist in the past with the Mona Lisa, I think it was. All of that looked like it was the background looked like it wasn't shot, like it was something like was it drawn like character like it I was think it? It's projections Phoenix
1: is what it tour? is. Yeah, oh. it's projection projections sets. Do you want to know where they shot in terms of internationally? So they did Hamilton. They also did uh, Budapest in Hungary and Bucharest in Romania.
0: Oh, so they went to oh
1: to get their international I didn't know stuff.
0: This. To get the flavor? Yeah, to get oh. all the international
1: stuff. So any of the, uh, the street scenes, the subway, stuff like that. I think, yeah, that's all there.
0: Ah, uh, well, that would make it a bit cheaper probably because of the locations that they're going to. Mm-hmm. Instead of like shutting down a street in Paris or uh, whatever it was, shut down something else with cobblestones on the floor and you'll be just as, just as good.
1: So for you, it's about the look of this movie, yes?
0: Yeah, the look was great. Like I honestly, it looked to me like it came out of Hollywood. I wouldn't have said otherwise.
1: What was your relationship to Kurt Russell?
0: I actually enjoyed his character in the sense that I saw, like, I, I, I liked how he was going through this whole thing of like loyalty and family and betrayal and like actually feeling like he stood for something. And that's probably why he at the end goes and like turns on his brother. And he is kind of like, well, trying to teach him a lesson. Like you can't just do that. Like he took away seven years of his life at the beginning. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I, I actually didn't mind his character. And I just think like that he actually did a good job in portraying that kind of a person.
1: How about your relationship to him on a broader scale? Like, what was your first understanding of Kurt Russell as a cultural icon?
0: I, I've heard a lot about Kurt Russell. I've seen, like, he's in the, is it the the Escape to New York movies?
1: Yes. New so York I kind York. of,
0: yeah. So I kind of, I remember, I do remember having seen one of those, and it was kind of like this bad like this bad guy, cool guy, kind of like, I don't want to say warrior, but kind of like somebody like something like that kind of a thing. And I don't know that that was kind of when I saw him here, I don't know that I even associated it with the kind of stuff I knew of him from before. Like this to me felt like a different kind of role altogether for him.
1: Because I find that this pulls very much from his back catalog. Like I Mm -hmm. said, the last film that he was in, he was in Death Proof where he played a killer stuntman. And so- Yeah,
0: I've never seen that one. I guess, yeah, I I wouldn't be able to make that kind of a- Uh, reference, I guess.
1: Totally fair. One of the things I found fascinating, though, is that in interviews with Kurt Russell, uh, he talks about uh, vulnerability and letting the audience in. And for him, vulnerability can also constitute bravado because it's covering up for whatever the fear is underneath and that that's how he allows the audience to see who he is, whether he's in Big Trouble in Little China or he's Captain Ron, the bigger and more pompous he can make his character, the more accessible he actually is for the audience because then they can see what's underneath what do you yeah, think about that yeah. I don't
0: know that I felt that he was a pompous character in this one I can oh, understand what attitude really eh? oh, I, yeah. I, I must have a really weird kind of sense of looking <laughs> at things I don't I I could tell like when he when he, he was uh, doing even when he was doing those stunts like I always felt I don't know, to me, that didn't feel like a bravado. And then when he's trying to be with this apprentice of his, or whatever they called him, um, the Jay character, um, I I think he was trying to be more of a, in a way of kind of like teaching him what he's been through and the ropes, but not necessarily in a a pompous kind of way, which is interesting. I didn't see that like that.
1: No, he's got that uh, father-son, more yeah. brotherly relationship going on with J- J.B. Rochelle than he yeah, does. Yeah, that's how I felt it. Totally. But it's when he's dealing, like when he's doing his stunts, when he's dealing with other people, when he's, you know, he's got swagger. I think swagger is a, a good oh,
0: interesting. I kind of feel that like at that point already, he's already lost some of that and he's just is what it is
1: interesting huh yeah I think it's a character that you can certainly interpret in different ways and that it's also because his journey is the actual heist right he's the one who sets everything up from the beginning even though it doesn't look like he's the one who sets everything up from the beginning yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah. Yeah, Uh, yeah the brother thinks it's his idea meanwhile he's already two steps ahead
1: I also have a very low tolerance for bullshit uh do you find the Matt Dillon character charming
0: Uh, no, just because I can't, like, I find, I find him greasy. And as soon as I get to that point, I I can't find him charming. I don't think there was anything at any point in time that I actually thought he was charming just because of the, the way he treated his brother right off the bat. Like that really got to me. It's like, once once you hit something, I think it's hard for me to look at you a different way afterwards. And to me, right off the bat, I think after him starting to talk to his brother again, I'm there like, OK, maybe he's trying to redeem himself. And he really is. But I don't know that I ever found him. I couldn't say the word charming with that character at all. That, that's for me.
1: No, I hear you. And there's something, because a lot of these characters are being portrayed as being very charming within the world. Like the first time you see Matt Dillon, he's sweet talking these people who they're ripping off. And he's telling this joke that you don't get to see the whole of it, but you understand that the punchline, which involves sex workers, is very funny. Yeah. So it's always so hard when you're writing a character to be smooth and charming. And it's like, we as the audience have to react to that and be like, okay, I get that in this world, that's what he's like. And you're like yeah
0: (laughs) yeah 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 for sure yeah I because I I, it's funny like even I thought like when he was talking to those people to that guy and his bodyguards at the beginning I guess I would think that he's like I can tell he's trying to do something he doesn't even feel like he's being that suave charming kind of character towards them I yeah I never saw that at all unfortunately interesting yeah, well,
1: I do have one more quick thing I want to talk about here. So this film is the one where Jay Baruchel really started to go on the trail on the um, on the talking circuit, uh, discussing mm-hmm. how um, Canadian films should be set and should be made in Canada, and that more films should be made in Canada. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think about that? I
0: love that comment. I think that's great. I think it's sad that we have to. Um, maybe sometimes shoot things in Toronto or Canada, I guess I'm being a little too Toronto centric, but shoot things in Canada and have to say we're somewhere else um, or give it an anonymous name just so that people, it will sell better to the international audience because people don't want to see what's here. But in a way, I think you do want to see what's here because you do keep coming back here to shoot things even like bigger productions. So why not just say you're here? Um, I I don't understand why we have to pretend to be uh, somewhere in the States to have a fighting chance of being seen by anybody other than our friends and family.
1: And I don't think, I think it's more an issue with Canadian filmmakers who have this in their heads that the American Americans won't want us if we show mm. that we're Canadian. Because um, yeah. from what I understand, most Americans genuinely don't care. <laughs> They're like, your money looks weird. That's about it. So it's, yeah, that's very strange to me.
0: Yeah. I and mean, I think other places, like even... Um And it might be like, I wonder if it's this thing that like this insecurity that Canadians have, because when you're in France, they they tell you you're in France. Like if you watch films from France, if you watch other European films, you know, you know, you're there they don't try to be somewhere else. But I don't know if it's just this thing that's carried over uh, from days of yore where, you know, you have to just be an anonymous kind of. I remember watching this film last, was it, I think it was last year. um, And I can't even remember the title of it now. And I just remember that they just kept calling it a small town, a small town. And you clearly know your, oh, Mean Dreams, that's it. Uh, It was Mean Dreams. And um, it just kept showing it as a small town. And you even saw like American money being exchanged at one point. And I'm like, there was no reason to have done that as opposed to just showing Canadian money. And having just been a small town in Canada somewhere, yeah, which there. is where it was shot. I think it was up in Sault Ste. Marie. Or-
1: I mean, we definitely have drug trafficking here. There's no reason why you can't make a film about drug traffickers. Yeah, yeah there's bad people everywhere. You
0: can do a heist anywhere. It's uh, it, and I'm sure it happens everywhere too. I'm sure it's not just in the states or wherever.
1: Exactly. I mean, we have got a grand tradition of heist movies here. Uh, I just uh, uh, we talked about Full Proof. We talked about um, Silent Partner. There's a new one coming out with Art Hindle called Robbery. I'm going to be talking to Art Hindle and the filmmaker uh, of that. That's uh, also another heist movie. It's heist yeah. movies. It's what we do. They're great.
0: Yeah, they're fun. They're fun. They're easy to watch. You know. They're entertaining. They they'll keep you entertained for an hour and a half. So, yeah.
1: It's all about the plot and all about the revelation. All right, you yep. ready for a game? I have a game for you. I sure am not, but I will play. <laughs> all right. Okay. So, this is the Spot the Fake Kurt Russell name. So, Kurt Russell has had a number of bizarre character names in his uh, in his time. Snake Plissken, of course, being from Escape from New York and L.A. So, I have assembled a series of uh, names of his characters, and one of them is fake, and you will need to pick which one is. Oh, gosh. Okay. Okay. Here we go. So, of course, we have Crunch Calhoun. That is a real one. That's right. <laughs> Stuntman Mike. Um... I'm going to say yes. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Big Samuelson. Uh,
0: I'm going to say yes to that one too.
1: No, that one's fake. No. I'm <laughs> already lost. Oh my gosh. All right. Here's the next one. Reno Hightower. That sounds like it could be. It's real. Yep. yep. <laughs> Lucky yep. Lockhart.
0: I can see that being a name. Yep.
1: Okay. Shoots McGillicuddy.
0: huh. Are you sure there's more that are, like, these all sound like they, they're possible. <laughs> um, I'll say no
1: to that one. Okay, you're right on that one. It's, that one's fake. Morgan, Yay, yay you got one! <laughs> yeah. Morgan Two Persons Bodine. I'm going to say no to that as well. That one's true. Oh my gosh. I know. Morgan Two Person? <laughs> two Person's Bodine is the name of the oh. character from e. The Captive colon, The Longest Drive 2.
0: Oh my gosh, I should have done a search on <laughs> Russell names before this.
1: That's all good. This normally I don't do games, but I was like this is just too good to pass up. I got it. Yeah. Go. Awesome. So that's uh that's the movie. Do you have a favorite moment from it?
0: Um, you know, one thing that I actually liked um, was, and I don't know that it's a moment, but it was their use of the color red.
1: Interesting. How so? I no- uh,
0: because I noticed that they would, so there was the painting at the beginning that the guy I was painting, uh, like adding some red to it, and it was like that's the fake. And when they had, um, they were trying to do the diversion scheme so that they can have the uh, Interpol, um, which was funny, too, that they had Interpol in Canada. I thought Interpol would have been uh, more in in Europe. I didn't realize that they would have had offices in the States or Canada. But um, when they were doing that whole diversion tactic and they had that uh, carrying case, like that um, that box thing, and that was red. So that was, again, a fake. And then I, I should have known that when they do with the when Crunch, Jay the and the brother go to that room to talk to the reverend and he's about to knock on the door, that door was painted bright red. And the reason why it, it's because all the other colors in those shots were all muted. But then there was these moments where red just stood out. And again, if I had known already, I should have known that that was the fake room. That was actually not a real room.
1: Cause it was
0: red. And it was red. Like and I was there like, oh, because yeah, it was a very interesting use of color sometimes in some of those shots. And I thought, oh, this is this is interesting. I actually quite enjoyed that. I, I liked that visual look that they that they did to me. It, it felt it felt um Yeah, like it just made it interesting, I guess.
1: Awesome. You're the first person I've talked to who uh, has chosen visual motif as their favorite moment. That's awesome.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I just I yeah, I just because that actually stood out to me a lot. So I just thought, oh, this is very interesting here.
1: That's cool. Yeah. Right. Uh, for me, I gotta say it's Jay Baruchel messing around uh, it, and with the Amish beard and they're at the border oh, and he's trying gosh. to get across. <laughs> he's just so fluid and he's clearly improvising and it's really funny and really clever, and he's working oh, I don't remember the name of the stand up comedian, but he's working off a local stand up comedian, and the two of them are just going and it's Oh right. the guy who the guy who was playing the officer, the like the border security was yes. a stand up co- Oh, yeah, that's a, so funny. Yeah, He's a stand-up comic here in Toronto. I'm going to look him up just because I'm like, he he deserves having his name said because comedians in this country don't get nearly enough.
0: It's funny. I didn't realize it was like an improv thing until I saw after the credits and they had the, like those outtakes. Yes. Then I realized that. And then I started laughing at like, oh, they actually picked a really good Whatever they ended up with, they picked a really good one. Like it actually worked really well.
1: They got a lot of freedom to kind of play. Like the script oh, was really yeah. tight and they knew what they needed to do. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's I think that's part of it.
0: Because I liked when they were like in the in the outtakes and the guys like cats. He's the cats. He's like, yeah, the cats. Yes, He's like, hey, with the man and a beard? He's like, yeah. (laughs) It's actually actually pretty funny.
1: Exactly. Okay, Mike Wilmot, that's who it is. Mike Wilmot is a stand comedian here. Uh, He's in a bunch of stuff with, um, I should have totally remember his name, because he's also in a bunch of stuff for um, Michael Douse. Uh, He's uh, Pete Tong's manager, and it's all gone Pete Tong. He's also in What If. Uh, He's in a bunch of stuff. Oh, awesome. Yeah, Yeah. you have to check him out. Yeah, and he's hilarious and very funny. So Mike Wilmot totally gets a shout-out. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, that was a great scene. So, uh, how do people find you and your work? We talked a little bit about the vault. How do people follow you personally?
0: Sure. Yeah, you can go to uh, our YouTube channel um, and just type in the Vault Web Series, or you can go to our Twitter um, handle is at Vault Web Series, and on Instagram we're at. The Vault web series.
1: Beautiful. And for myself, you can find me, as per usual, on the Twitters, at Shrimpton. That's the masculine The Shrimpton over there. I have my new podcast out from the Globe and Mail and Microsoft called AI Meets World, which I do with Navneet Alang, one of the funniest men I've had the pleasure of working with. Uh, I'm really proud of that. It's out right now. You can go find uh, AI Meets World wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you got this podcast. Uh, and uh, I've got a new show coming out with Cam on the TVs. We'll keep you posted about what's happening with that. I think that's just about everything. So, Sarah, mm-hmm. do you want to go get a moose head? Um, That sounds
0: great. <laughs> <Right about now. laughs>
1: Thanks for listening to the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. If you like what we're doing, please remember to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcatcher. It helps people find our podcast and Canadian media they love. Come chat with us at RCM Pod on Facebook or on Twitter at RCM Pod. Our theme song is by Craig Stewart and our show art is by Paul Stachniak. Join us next week for another great film from the wilds of Canadian cinema.